Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Today's scripture comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our Father. In our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of the truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Brian. Amen. Paul has written a letter demonstrating how glad he is for the church, and there was a lot about Paul's letter and his posture in writing the letter that reminds me of how I feel about all of you. And we will get back to all of that, but I want to kind of detour a little bit here and talk about uh, some changes. We've already announced that uh, Aaron Bolajak was leaving our ministry team, not our church, but leaving our ministry team. And we have openly questioned that decision. But anyway, he has done that. Uh, But I want to announce today what those new changes will look like. We have, uh, rather than bring somebody else on, we have taken Aaron's job and we've divvied it up now between uh, five different staff members. That's how much work Aaron was doing. But, uh, and we will talk more about what that might look like in the days to come. But I did want to say to you that our beloved worship pastor, has volunteered to take back her role as executive pastor. And I said, okay, but that is uh, provided that you, you don't do less of this worship pastoring thing. Um, and she agreed to that. But so she is going to come back on our staff full-time. She's been part-time for a while. Uh, but now she's going to come back full-time and handle the, the financial part of that burden. And, and we'll talk about other folks who are doing other things in the weeks to come. But I just want to let you know that. You can start praying now. Uh, for, for Tamara to make sure that she does, in fact, she's able to sort of safeguard what it is that makes her such a powerful worship leader, even as she takes on more responsibility. I do pray for us. I do. There is something about this room. Uh, I get here a, a kind of, not that early, but kind of early before there are many other, if anybody else here in the room. And there's something about this room that draws the prayer out of you. Especially on Sunday morning as I am, you know, gearing up and getting ready uh, for all of you and to, to be not only the, the, uh, the preacher at this moment, but the Sunday school discussion facilitator over here and just the person who just enjoys seeing you come through the doors and walk the halls. There is something about being here early that draws the prayer out of me. And I'd like to tell you today about a couple of things that I pray. Is that all right? I'm always praying for this moment. Uh, this 10:30 moment, and and so I pray that prayer on a weekly basis. God, uh, help us to open eyes today that perhaps weren't open before this time. Help us to be able to spot you in the detail of what we're doing today. Now I do have some prayers that I pray uh, over longer periods of time, and I'm and I want to be careful that I tell you when I feel like some of those prayers have come to fruition. Now I I am praying some prayers right now that I, that I hope will come to fruition as it has to do with how we uh, function as a church. One of those prayers is that you, you would be uh, part of the, the process whereby, oh, it's not working, Zach. Where is Zach? Okay, I lost Zach and Tamara out of the room. There must be a fire somewhere else in the building. <laughs> You're going to take this? Oh, oh. Jason Smith is also taking on some responsibility, but that responsibility is not tech crew, so thank you for this part. 
We have a new system that we're working on. The problem is, for this new system, for, for me to manually move the slides, I'm going to have to sit on the floor <laughs> and hit the button, so I'm not going to do that. Uh, we need folks. I feel like um, that there are folks more and more who are just finding us. They're finding us fo- first online, and then, and then they're coming by. It happened again last week. There are, there are lots of new folks. It may not look like it today, but welcome to summers at OKC First, right? I feel like the fall... If we will do our due diligence to be good hosts, to be good hosts, Britt Bullerjack is going to take a much larger role as it has to do with hosting uh, and hospitality. So I'm, I'm hoping that some of you will continue to listen for the call of God to do that hosting thing. There are a variety of things that we can do. We need folks actually out in the parking lot, which doesn't sound great when it's 105 degrees, but we do need folks because we have, we have parking issues even today. We have parking issues. And it'd be nice to be able to have somebody out there as a first face. But we need people at the doors. We need people to help. Um, our, our building's a little bit of an odd layout, so someone who's new may not know where something is. We're going to work on the signage part too, but it'd be nice to have somebody who will say, well, I'll take you to the nursery, or I'll take you to this, that, and the other, to this class. Uh, that would be, be great. And we have prayed that prayer, and I'm praying that prayer, that God would convince us that hospitality is crucial. Crucial. Here's the other prayer I've been praying for years and years and years that we would be uh, a, an oasis here in our neighborhood, that people would be able to find help and hope and, and real tangible resources here. I've been praying that prayer for a long time. That, that prayer comes to fruition as we finally build a community center and also as, as we have our neighborhood empowered that takes up residence in that community center and, and helps us to be a, a tangible presence in our neighborhood. But now, because of the work of many of her staff members, and included among them are Avarilla, Avi Lejeune Fleming is one of those people. And uh, you don't know if you know Jaden Oliver well yet, but she's a part of our community center staff. We now actually now have an opportunity to have, I don't know what we're going to call it yet, but it's like Fridays at OKC First. Fridays at OKC First, we're going to be able to gather all of the resources. The Unity Clinic, a weekly medical clinic. Trinity Legal, which offers free legal care to folks who need it. Um, The Hope Box, we're now feeding around 30 families a week. We're going to try to move that from Monday to Friday. And now DHS sees us as a worthy sort of field office. And so we're going to be able to offer all of that on Fridays. And we don't have much else going on on Fridays around here. But I've always dreamt that we would have a day like that. And we're going to get that rapid uh, bus stop. It's going to be right here across the street from us. Like we're, I, I have prayed that prayer for a long time, and y'all, it's coming to fruition that we would be that kind of resource. Now, we need help. Now, some of you work, and I don't want you to feel badly. If you, have, if you have a day job and you can't come and volunteer, it's okay. Some of you, though, might have some opportunity to volunteer a Friday uh, a month or something like that. Info at okcfirst.com, info at okcfirst.com. We, we need your help. These are the prayers that your pastor's been praying for a long time for the church, and y'all, it is slowly but surely bubbling to the surface and coming to fruition. And so I resonated with Paul as Paul was praying out loud for his church. I resonated with somebody who felt such a responsibility that he would not only pray for his church, but he would do some things right out loud. Now, if this doesn't work, will one of you sit down there and hit the, the button? And, okay. <laughs> what do you think? And you guys, Zach, Lucero, and Jason Smith, everybody. How about that? There it is, volunteer at okcfirst.com. So we are, are going to explore the heart of Paul as Paul, in a pastoral sort of way, puts his prayers down on paper to be recorded. This letter was meant to be read out loud to the church there in Colossae, which may not have been very many people. Some folks think it might have been as few as a dozen or so people. But they were doing some really good things, and Paul had some very real concerns, but he was also deeply grateful for them. And we're going to explore some of that later, because Paul understood that they were going to try to do church in a context that in so many different ways, some out loud and some at a whisper, 
try to do church in a context that was working against their work as a church, working against them as they're trying to be people of faith. In fact, in three of the passages I was handed today, you could see very clearly the same sort of message, that it's hard to be the people of God. It's, it's hard sometimes and maybe a lot of time to do faith when there are forces at work, some of them loud, some of them soft, that are working against these decisions that you and I want to make as it has to do with being the people of God. So rather than starting in Colossae, we're going to go all the way back to the Old Testament text. I was handed Amos chapter 7 today. A little bit of background on Amos. There were actually schools for prophecy within the nation of Israel. There were schools. You could go to prophet school, and if you did really well in prophet school, it very well could be that a king, a monarch somehow, would say, hey, you've done really well at prophet school. Why don't you come and be around our table as the voice of God? Isaiah, we think, was one of those prophets. But then you had people who did not go to prophet school that God seemed to just pluck out of nowhere, and some of those were some of the most powerful, profound sorts of prophets. Amos was one of those. Amos at times complained that he had been called to be a prophet. All he wanted to do was herd sheep and care for his sycamore trees. But no, God grabs him and says, no, you're going to be a prophet. Now, he was from the southern kingdom, but God said to him, no, I want you to go and prophesy to the northern kingdom. They had not yet been conquered by Assyria, but they were making all of the decisions that got them in trouble with God, and that trouble was then meted out by the Assyrians. God said to Amos, leave your sheep, leave your herds, and go and talk to the kingdom of Israel, the north, and tell them that trouble's coming you'll inevitably come up and talk to a priest by the name of Amaziah. Now, Amaziah worked for the king of Israel. And Amaziah, I'm sure, had some schooling himself. And I'm also sure that Amaziah hoped to be a good priest, a faithful priest, somebody who would bring to tangibility the very heartbeat of God. But Amaziah now finds himself, perhaps later in his career, in, in a situation where over a period of time, what he wanted to be and the message that he wanted to communicate, perhaps those things have been domesticated, tamed over a period of time. And now he was so far afield from where it was that God wanted him to be that God was sending Amos to confront him and them where faith is concerned. God has gone as far as to say, I am about to wipe them out. In fact, it says right here in Amos chapter 7, the Lord said, I will never again pass them by. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste, and I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. This was the message <laughs> that Amos, the shepherd prophet, was bringing to the establishment the establishment, and right now Amaziah is, least, is at least the point person of that establishment. And so Amaziah starts to complain to the king about Amos and the message. It says this, Amos has conspired against you, king. In the very center of the house of Israel, the land is not able to bear all of these prophets' words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam the king shall die by the sword and Israel must go into exile away from his land. And so Amaziah actually said to Amos, why don't you go somewhere else? <laughs> why don't you take your message somewhere else? Go and flee away to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there and prophesy there. That's where you're from anyway. But never again prophesy at Bethel, there in the northern kingdom, for it is the king's sanctuary. It is a temple of the kingdom. You are messing with the status quo. We like what we've got here, Amos. It's working just fine. The king likes it. <laughs> Why don't you take your ugly messages back to the southern kingdom? And then Amos answered Amaziah, I am no prophet nor prophet's son. I'm a herdsman. I'm a dresser of sycamore trees. And the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go and prophesy to my people, Israel. And then he just rehearses the line again. There's trouble coming. You, Amaziah, and you, faith people, 
You have gotten into bed with the government. And because you've gotten into bed with the government, you are no longer doing God's bidding. You're doing the king's bidding. You're doing the government's bidding. And there is disaster on the way. It says this in verse 17. Your land shall be parceled out by line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall, shall surely go into exile away from its land. Can you see how this would have been an unwelcome message? Do you know your Bible well enough to know that Amos was right? It would all happen exactly that way. And the prophets are, are careful to articulate it just so. If at some point faith does the bidding of the ruling empire and not of the God of all creation, then disaster is on the way. And this is how this disaster came to Israel. Let, let me say that again. If at some point faith becomes the project of the king and faith becomes the project of the empire such that faith people are doing the bidding of the king and of the empire and not the bidding of the God of all life and hope and creation, then friends, disaster is on the way. And as it turns out, disaster was on the way. Amos was fighting an uphill battle here, right? The king, the priests, and the people had wandered away from the faith Instead, redefining the faith so that it might uphold the status quo. So Amos is now battling their amnesia and their desire to keep things the way they were and also the unhealthy collaboration between the government and a faith that had been tamed and domesticated so that it was little more than a figurehead, a, a sentimental window dressing on the windows of the king's palace. Power was winning over faithfulness. Okay. This tension between a faithful faith and a faith that's been domesticated by forces exterior to that faith, exterior to the people of God and the houses of worship, that is the, that, that dynamic we will see throughout the other passages today. Very similar dynamics in the epistle, but also the gospel text, which is the parable of the Good Samaritan. Have you heard of that one? But in Colossae, you have an occupying force the Roman Empire. And this occupying force exerted such control over all of life that the remaining faithful voices were fighting the same uphill battles against the status quo, against a government-shaped faith, against a faith that collaborates with power and then excludes, sometimes violently, all dissenters. Friends, it was hard to be Amos. Amos complained about it. It was also hard to be Paul, and frankly, it was hard to be the little church in Colossae. The little church in Colossae. I loved this line. One of the uh, commentators I read this week said this about the book of Colossians. In short, and we're going to spend about four weeks in the book of Colossians. In Colossians, living the gospel means knowing who and where you are. This is going to be sort of the, the sub-theme for the entirety of this mini-series in the book of Colossians. Do we in Oklahoma City, by the way, that is Wheeler Park. Everybody recognize that as Wheeler Park? By the way, we're going to be at Wheeler Park this Wednesday at 6.30. Do you see what I did there? A little uh, advertising right in the midst of the sermon. Yeah, seamless. No one caught it. Yeah. But do we as a church know who we are? And do we know where we are? Like, can we identify the uphill battles that we have that probably look a whole lot like the uphill battles that Amos fought, that Paul was fighting? That's what this letter is that Paul has written to the church in Colossae, trying to help them to see, look, here is, here is the built-in resistance to who it is you're trying to be, church. But here's where we can find help and hope so that we can Continue to be odd and awkward in the world. Let me hear me say it again. To choose to be Christian in the ways that we talk about being Christian around here is a choice to be odd and awkward in the world. And it's the hope of all creation that God would find a people through whom God could demonstrate quite tangibly health and life and hope. 
and redefined power. But do we know what our uphill battles will be? And so Paul writes this letter you heard as Brian read the introduction. But let me read to you what comes next. Paul says, we have not stopped praying for you, church, and asking that one, that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. But two, we're also praying that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. And then three, we're praying that you may be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power and may be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father. Now, those three prayers sound a lot like the prayers that I pray for me and for us, <laughs> that we would figure out what it means to be the people of God, that we would bear, that we would live lives that bear the good kind of fruit. That's why those Fridays are so important to me. And that we would have the endurance to bear up, recognizing that we too have these same uphill battles. I'll tell you who else understood this pretty well. It's not just the Jesus who told this particular parable that we're going to work through now, but it's also this young man who came to ask Jesus questions. You can almost hear it in his voice. He too sensed the tension between the faith to which he had been called by this Jesus and these exterior forces that were trying to force that faith into a different form altogether. Let's, let's work through these prayers. So Paul says, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. This young man comes to Jesus and he says, teacher, tell me more about God's will. Tell me more about what it means to be a believer. Tell me more about what this faith, this faith journey might look like. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I don't think here that he was talking about innumerable days in heaven. Perhaps he was, but I think it was more than that. What does this boundless life look like that you keep talking about? What is written in the law, said Jesus to him. How do you get to this boundless life? Then what does your scripture already tell you? And this expert in the law says, well, it says this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your strength, with all your mind. And by the way, also love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will have that kind of life. But recognizing that there is a tension here, that there are forces at work, uphill battles that make this hard, he's trying to justify himself. And so he says to Jesus, okay, but who is my neighbor? Who, who should I understand as my neighbor? Now, you know this story. I'm going to read it to you anyway. Here was Jesus' response. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. That has always fascinated to me. What is, what is half dead? Now by chance, a priest, a priest, perhaps a priest who suffered the same tension that Amaziah faced, right? Perhaps a priest who had been pushed and shoved by forces exterior to faith, right? But pushed and shoved in such a way that it started to shape the shape of the priest's faith. Here is a guy living in tension and anxiety, and it was so bad that it caused him to walk away. The priest was going down that road, and when he saw the man, he just passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. Friends, <laughs> Jesus is saying this, ready? If you can see that person on the side of the road and walk by on the other side of the road, you don't yet possess the knowledge of what it means to be us. But John, you have forgotten that I have committed the articles of faith to memory. John, I have a perfect attendance pin. John, perhaps you have forgotten that I was what they called a Bible quizzer. 
And I know all of the words to all of the songs. I even know when to raise my hands. But none of what we have just listed there amounts to the knowledge of God's will for the people of God. Friends, do you know why I want you to volunteer? Somehow, some way, and some of you are great at it. My man Shane, I love Shane Thompson. <laughs> now, he'll work for free, but then he'll tell you, but you get what you pay for. <laughs> that should be a t-shirt. I really think it should be, yeah. Some of you already volunteer, but you know why I keep pushing you to volunteer? And yes, I'm aware that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I'm worried about that other 80% of the people. You know why? Because volunteering and helping and ministering, mission is an essential, crucial part of your development toward Christ-likeness. I think I want to say Christianity has to have hands and feet. So part of the reason, and, and listen, you can volunteer lots of different places. I'm not saying it has to be here. I'm saying you have to get your whole body involved in helping at some point, or else it's something short of Christianity. It's something short of God's will. This is part of what the church in Colossae is working against, and we'll hear more about it in the weeks to come. Someone is trying to tell the church in Colossae, no, as long as you just have this inner knowledge, it's knowing the right things that matters. And Paul is saying, it doesn't matter what you know if it's not somehow borne out at the ends of your fingers. How many of us over the years have allowed head knowledge to replace body language? Your body does the faith. And that's when it counts as Christianity. John, how dare you? <laughs> I remember when I made the decision. Years ago, I made the decision, and I accepted grace, and I, hear me, I think we should celebrate those decisions. But we should also honor those decisions by making sure that we are careful to not call them what they aren't. They are not a finishing move. They are a beginning move. What you know is better demonstrated by your body than by your brain. What you know of God's will is always better demonstrated by your body than by your brain. All right, then what is it that you want from us? Well, remember that the second prayer that Paul is praying is that they would live lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing, bearing fruit. And so this is what that looks like. Oh, hang on, we have a problem. It says a Samaritan. Now, a Samaritan, a Samaritan, was someone that an ancient Jew believed to be impure, unclean, not worthy of conversation. You certainly can't touch them. Y'all, don't touch a Samaritan because it makes you dirty like they're dirty. So what is Jesus doing here? By now saying, but a Samaritan bore fruit. What is Jesus doing here? <laughs> He's making plain what matters where the heart of God is concerned. You want to be well-versed in the will of God? Then show it by bearing the right kind of fruit. A Samaritan, while traveling, came near him. And when he saw him, he was moved with pity, felt it in his gut. And you know what he did, right? He went to him and bandaged the wounds, and he poured oil and wine on them. Then he took and put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him and whatever, whenever he needs. If he needs more than what I've given you here, I will take care of it when I get back. I want you to think right now of the person or the group of people that you consider to be most unclean or impure. Are you thinking of them? Please don't point, Okay. I want you to think of the person or the group that you believe to be most unclean. Is that person so unclean that he or she or they could not be vessels of God's grace for you? Would you somehow find it in your heart to say, I will refuse this help because you are, you are unclean? Listen, then that means you don't yet get the heart of God. The good news is that your best days are ahead of you where faith is concerned. 
What matters is what you know with your body. I'm telling you, it's odd to be Christian. It, it, it is at times awkward. Depending on what room you're in, it's really awkward, right? Depending on what tables you're around, it could be really, really awkward. But this is what it means to be the people of God. It means that we love indiscriminately. It means that we are open to grace however and whenever it comes to us and are able to recognize it as such. But man, there's some opposition to that kind of thinking out there. So Paul prays this third prayer. He prays that you, church, would be made strong and prepared to endure everything with patience. Now, watch this exchange that Jesus has at the end of this parable. Jesus says, which of these three, young man, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And he said, he couldn't bring himself to say Samaritan. You notice that? You just, it's just too dirty. But he had to acknowledge, he had to acknowledge that it was the one who showed him mercy. But his reluctance to say Samaritan to me is evidence that he himself felt this tension, that he himself felt these uphill battles, that he himself felt, yep, this kind of faith is a hard way to live. It's odd, it's awkward, it's swimming upstream. He couldn't even say Samaritan, y'all. He just said, okay, 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 it was the one who did the thing. y'all ever considered that we're trying to pass along a faith here that we know will be hard for our children to embody, to undertake? Well, if you don't know that, hear me say it again. Let me announce to those of us who have children, regardless of their age, we are trying to pass along a faith here that is very difficult out there to embody and to undertake. It is much easier to live out the faith that is somehow domesticated, tamed. <laughs> the one where you choose up sides, the one that satisfies itself with just knowing the right things, but only with my brain, not so much with my body, my hands, my feet. We're trying to pass along a difficult faith. And I tell you where it starts. I mean, I, the culprit here is Lisa Sanders. She is the one on a regular basis trying to help our kids to summon the patience and the endurance and the strength. She is trying to help them to develop the, the muscle structure that would allow them to bear up. As everything seems like it's an uphill battle, as we find it harder and harder to walk fine lines out there, Lisa's the one who's giving them the resources by saying this to them at the earliest age possible, God's mind about you is made up. And the news is good. By the way, God's mind about the other is made up, and that news is good too. Lisa, Lisa is trying to coax your kids into a way of life that as they get older, they will find to be very difficult. And she's doing it exactly as we hoped she would. For whatever reason, good or bad, God seems to have seen fit to call a, a group of people people of God at one time, now the body of Christ, the church. God has seen fit to work in and through these people to put skin and flesh on this hard and awkward way to be alive. And that's the faith we're trying to pass on to your children, my children. It's one that we saw passed on pretty graphically yesterday here at a quinceanera. You know what a quinceanera is? Boy, I learned a lot over the last several days about a quinceanera. So we have this precious family, the Hernandez family, and I know you probably know who that is. They have a 15-year-old daughter, Adamari, who yesterday was the spitting image of a Disney princess. All day, she was. And it started with a, a celebration, like a liturgy here, here. And at this quinceanera, which is sort of kind of a small part debutante ball. Uh, it's also, a, uh, it's also a, uh, a birthday celebration, but it's also part rededication ceremony. Like I had a chance to walk Adamari at 15 through another dedication ceremony similar to the one that I performed when she was an infant 15 years ago. 
And in this moment, it became very clear that some families are super intentional to pass on their faith to the next generation. And this family and many within the Latino culture go to great lengths, <laughs> great lengths to demonstrate how important it is that this faith be passed on from generation to generation to generation and that Adamari would now here see that while we are celebrating her movement to her 15th year, that it now comes with a particular sort of struggle in her journey and she will need these tools like a Bible and other pieces of jewelry that were absolutely meant to remind her that what she has now and the life that she's supposed to live, she's going to live amongst this great cloud of witnesses, her family. But the Hernandez family went out of their way to help her to know that it wasn't just her own biological family that was passing this faith to her. They implicated all of you yesterday too. Said Adamari, you've been raised in this church with pastors who have been diligent and who have said to you along the way, crucial moments, God's mind about you is made up and the news is good. And now, Adamari, as you enter into this new phase of life, not only will you be surrounded by your family, your, your doting aunts and uncles and your grandparents and your mom and dad and your brother, it was beautiful, but they went out of their way to include you in her journey as well because there seems to be this deep, ingrained understanding that this way of life is hard and it will take all of us if any of us is going to do it well. You were included and implicated throughout the day yesterday in beautiful sorts of ways. And I loved how it underscored what we were saying here today. Yes, it's hard to be Christian. Yes, it's so hard that we will need the prayers of the people around us. We will need the companionship of the people around us. And we will need the constant reminders of our origin stories that resource us to live this life of grace. So if you're coming to help us set this table, come now and help us to set this table, which each week is for us the most poignant reminder that we are an odd sort of people because we are reflecting an odd sort of love, at least where the rest of the culture is concerned. This is an, this is an interesting time if you have eyes for it. And, and today, notice, we're getting our kids in the act as well. Heavenly Father, bless these moments now. In a moment, God, we will take into our hands the elements, this, this bread and this cup. And God, if we're not careful, it can become stale. <laughs> it can be meaningless. Just something that we can do without thinking. So God, help us to remember what it is and consider what it is that we do here today. We believe, God, that in your hands, as you bless these elements, that the bread does something more and the cup does something more than we could have imagined. It shapes us. It nourishes us. It strengthens us. It fortifies us to be your people in a climate that sometimes, and maybe a lot of the time, is hostile to this particular expression of faith non-scorekeeping, sacrificial, suffering love. So use these elements now and remind us of all the things that we will need perhaps today and this week as we strive to be your people. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet to exit your pew to the left, to exit your pew to the left and to come forward with your hands cupped you will approach somebody holding a piece of bread. As you get closer to the person holding that plate of bread, that person will take a piece of bread and press it into your hands and say to you, this is our story, this is the body of Christ broken for you. There it is, everybody. There it is, our origin story of love and sacrifice. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup, 
someone standing right there will be holding a cup. When you do, that young person will say to you, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Yep, there it is again, our story. And then take and eat. Once you have dipped that bread into the cup, take and eat. And then if you would, find a place to pray. And here's the prayer I want you to pray. Given what we have heard today, God, give me eyes to see what it is that resists my journey of faith. But God, give me eyes to see the resources I have provided by you to be the lover of people that you want me to be. Now, if you come to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing and somebody will meet you there and pray that prayer for healing. And it could be physical, mental, emotional, relational. We'll have all kinds of prayers for healing there at that altar should you need them. If you come to one of these mourner's benches up front, we won't assume anything, but somebody, and probably me, will come by, touch you on the shoulder or the head or the neck just to let you know that you're not alone as you pray. Or you can circle right back around to your pew and pray all of, that, all of those prayers there. It works just as well. If you would prefer not to come forward to receive these common elements, if you prefer something prepackaged, then you will be dismissed by row by people who are carrying a plate full of prepackaged elements. They have already been blessed and I'm about to work through the liturgy. If you prefer to take communion that way, that works just as well too. Just take it and eat and drink right then and there. If you would like to sit this one out, that's okay too. All are invited, but none are compelled. If you know that you have this need for grace as I do, then you are welcome at this table, but none are compelled but none are compelled. If you'd like to make a special trip and dip your fingers into the water here, this little bowl holds some water. It's meant to remind you of your baptism. If you need to be reminded that you belong to this awkward group of people, this is a great place to remember right here. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you and every time you eat of it, remember me. In the same way he took the cup, held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant and every time you drink of it, remember me. And now all across the sanctuary, you stand to your feet and as you are dismissed, come forward to receive these gifts of God meant for the people of God.
are still coming, I'm going to go ahead and start these prayers of confession before turning it over to Lisa for prayers of petition and our children's prayers. Heavenly Father, we confess that sometimes we feel it, the pressure that Amaziah years ago must have felt, the pressure that this young questioner of Jesus must have felt, this tension between the life that you call us to and all these other temptations and forces that battle against the life that you call us to. We confess also, Lord, that sometimes what we do then is compromise. We settle for something less than embodied love and grace, less than the embodied love and grace that we enjoy and remember and celebrate around the table each week. So forgive us. Because like those folks at the church in Colossae, Sometimes we have wandered. Forgive us, God, and bring us back. Show us the way back. And now I want to get out of the way and allow you to pray your own prayer of confession. If somehow you recognize where it is in your life that you have been intimidated or intoxicated into something less than the faith embodied by Christ, go ahead and pray that prayer of confession. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Spirit. Keep us in eternal life. I'm going to share with you some of the prayers that our kids have prayed over this last month. May you hear these prayers. Dear Heavenly Father, hear the prayers of our kids. Dear Jesus, I hope my dad knows how much I love him. I made a bracelet for him for Father's Day. Lord Jesus, I hope COVID stops soon. Also, I love my dad and I hope he has a happy Father's Day. Dear God, my parents are going out of the country I pray that they will have fun and have a safe trip. Jesus, I'm thankful for the 4th of July, our freedom and fireworks. Lord, I'm excited to stay with my babysitter and grandparents while my parents are in Greece. But I'm also praying that I won't miss them too much. I'm praying for my great grandpa who's recovering from a stroke. He is in a rehab facility and I haven't gotten to see him yet. Dear Jesus, I'm praying a blessing for my sister's quinceanera, her 15th birthday. I love her so much, and I hope it all goes well. Lord, I'm so excited about going to Camp Bon. It's so fun, but it's my sister's first time to go, so I pray that she won't be scared being away from home. Jesus, I'm so thankful that my grandma is finished with her chemo and cancer-free, and now her hair is growing back. Lord, I'm praying that my sister who lives in Pennsylvania can visit us for Thanksgiving. We really miss her. Dear God, I'm so thankful for my new dog named Bella. Lord, I'm so thankful for my family's trips where we can be together and make fun memories. Now I'm going to pray a prayer for our children. Dear Lord Jesus, I lift up our kids to you. I place them in your loving arms, knowing that you love and care for them. I pray that they will keep their eyes open to the ways that you are moving and working in them and in this world around them. Thank you for your faithfulness, the gift of your spirit, and your transforming at love, your transforming love at work in them and in all of us. I'm so thankful for the childlike faith 
and how blessed I am as their pastor to see it growing in our children. May their faith continue to grow. As they learn to trust you and experience your love and goodness. Lord, I pray for our children as we head out to camp this next week. I look forward to the opportunities of being together and experiencing you through the ways that you will be present among us. Through our times of gathering and praise and worship, to our daily conversations, and our interactions. May we see you. Give our counselors wisdom and understanding as they develop relationships with each child. I pray, Lord, that this will be a time of getting away and hearing your voice and growing closer to you. May each one of our kids know that you love them and that you have called them to be your light in this world and through your presence living in them to bring hope and peace wherever they go. And now, church, will you pray with me the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.